Welcome to Wild Tater Podcast. I'm Charles Hathaway. Today we're going to talk about the Rose of Sharon, which is a hibiscus variety. And if you're not familiar with hibiscus, well, you're in for a treat today. This is kind of a cool plant for a number of reasons, not just because it's beautiful, but it's also edible and useful. So let's get into it. The, uh, the Latin name is Hibiscus Syriacus, or as Latin Google would pronounce it, Hibiscus Syriacus. Hibiscus Syriacus. And uh, this is in the Malva family, the Malvaceae family, or Malvaceae family, probably as Google would pronounce it. Uh, the hardiness zones for this particular plant are five to nine. I suspect you may be able to go even a little bit lower than that just because in my zone five hibiscus seems to do really well. Um, I have only recently obtained a Rose of Sharon so um, I can't say for absolute certainty but I've seen it around and it's a beautiful uh, plant. It's a it, it grows the size of a tree, or a small tree, like a lilac, 10 foot by 10 foot, or 9 foot by 6 foot, as this uh, site says it. And yet, it's covered in these gorgeous flowers that look like a cross between a rose and maybe a, uh, a daisy or something, you know, somewhere in that in-between state there. Just, just gorgeous flowers. Okay, so here we go. Common name, Rose of Sharon, Althea, Shrub Althea, and Hardy Hibiscus. Now you have to watch with the Hardy Hibiscus because I've seen things labeled Hardy Hibiscus and they are a hibiscus of a different, slightly different species. Um, okay, in the family Malvaceae, this is the family where the common mallow, uh, also the marshmallow, and linden tree and uh, let's see what else is in that family basically a lot of good edibles okay and that's one of the reasons that this is a plant i wanted to uh, emphasize we'll get to the edible stuff in a bit the range is east asia china to india locally naturalized in southern europe also becoming naturalized in the western United States I can you know just speaking from experience from what I've started seeing uh, but I think it could be naturalized across the United States the edibility rating is a four out of five which is pretty good um, other uses it gets a two out of five medicinal rating is two out of five and weed potential yes I like the ones with weed potential that are this useful. Summary. Bloom color. Blue, lavender, pink, purple, red, or white. And I should say that you just, if you're buying this at the store, just look at what it shows. That will show you what color yours is going to be. Mine is this beautiful, just beaming white. And I'm really excited about it. Main, blue, main bloom time. Early summer, late summer, midsummer. The form is rounded, upright, or erect. Physical characteristics. Hibiscus syriacus, or um, Rose of Sharon, is a deciduous shrub growing three meter, going, growing to three meters or nine feet 
by 2 meters, 6 feet, at a medium rate. It is hardy to zone 5. It is in flower in September, and the seeds ripen in October. This is a, an important thing to note, because um, for a lot of plants, and a lot of your garden, by now, things have kind of stopped blooming, and now they're fruiting, or they're you know, going to seed, and, and if you've got plants that need um, blossom, or that are blossoming right now, and you need bees to come, um, it's such as squash, for example, my squash is, is in bloom right now, and it's one of the only things flowering right now. Everything else seems to be fruiting, at least in my fruit gardens. But uh, this is a late bloomer flower, and so it will start blooming in August, September, stuff like that. And then the seeds ripen in October, which means that you can get bees coming because, I mean, this massive flower tree growing, and uh, and it's going to bring in the bees, and they'll be around to see, oh, there's these other flowers down here, you know, buried in this strange vine, and then you'll get more pumpkins. The species is hermaphrodite, has both male and female organs, and is pollinated by insects. In other words, you don't need another plant in order to pollinate it. Suitable for light, medium, and heavy soils, sandy, loamy, and clay, and prefers well-drained soil. Suitable pH are acid, neutral, and basic, which is alkaline soils. It can grow in semi-shade, light woodland, or no shade. It prefers moist soil. Other places say it prefers sun. Basically, this is one of those plants that can probably grow just about anywhere. That's there, there's a reason that I keep sharing these. You know, it sounds like it's just like the same information for all these plants. That they're all, they all like all kinds of soils. They all like all kinds of sunlight. The, the reason I share these plants is because of those factors. There are many plants that have very strong preferences to must-have direct sunlight or must-have shade or different things like that. And I like these because they will grow just about anywhere as long as they're within that climate zone, and maybe even beyond them. And this is something to be noted about, you know, I don't care what your view is on climate change, whether you think it's all a scam or whatever. What the science is showing is that, is that um, your climate zone is likely to go up a notch in the next few decades. So if you're trying to establish a food forest, and you've got, and you're in, like me, a, a zone 5A, there's a very good chance that in 50 years this will be a zone 6. I don't know, but that's what the science is suggesting, which means that if you can get things established that are a little bit warmer, you know, I mean, it, maybe they don't produ produce enough fruit right now, but in a couple of decades they just might and they might do it really well. And things that maybe you can get to grow just fine, but only fruit occasionally, or they're always dropping their blossoms or whatever, it's possible that in 20, 25, 30 years, they will be doing really well and producing very well. And I think it's good to have that diversity of things that are zone three things and zone you know, five things, because the zone two and three things may be struggling in 40 years. And so having this diversity of, of biology in your food forest is 
very valuable. Okay. Uh, synonym for this plant is Althea frutex. If you know anything about the uh, taxon taxonomy system, taxonomic nomenclature, you'll know that these Latin names change sometimes. And uh, that is because of, you know, the, the process by which um, Linnaeus, the guy that uh, invented the whole system, used, it was like, you know, oh, well, this one has four flowers, and that one has four flowers, and look, they have similar leaves, similar looking leaves, so let's put them in the same taxonomy, and that did remarkably accurate things. I mean, it's amazing how much things that look alike actually biologically are alike, but it's not perfect in that way. And you can have things in totally different families, totally unrelated uh, genetically, who look quite similar and therefore were put together, but weren't biologically similar. And what they're doing now is they're going through the genetics and, and using DNA and the, uh, the whole uh, genome sequence. And they can see uh, physically, biologically, genetically, how related these plants are. And so, as they discover things that may seem to have been related, but are not as closely related as we thought, they are reclassifying them. Which I think is a very good thing, because um, the closer the genetics are, the more you can know how you can mix things, how you can, can um, interplant, and and how well they will cross-pollinate, things like that. So it's very useful information. But anyway, that's why you'll sometimes have different Latin names. Okay, habitats. Woodland, garden, sunny edge, dappled shade, and hedge. Edible uses. And this is the fun part in my mind. I'm, I'm all about food plants. Edible parts. Flowers, leaves, oil, and root. The young leaves can be eaten raw or cooked, a very mild flavor, though slightly on the tough side. They make an acceptable addition to the salad bowl. A tea is harvested from the leaves or the flowers. The flowers can be eaten raw or cooked, a mild flavor and mucilaginous texture. They are delightful in salads, both for looking at and for eating. The root is edible, but very fibrous and mucilaginous without much flavor. Now, mucilaginous means that, you know, it may be a nice, you know, crunchy salad kind of a texture at first, but then it'll kind of go uh, a little bit grimy. And, uh, and I have tasted the Rose of Sharon leaves. They're not as mucilaginous as something like the common mallow, but, um, but they do have a nice flavor. It's, it's extremely mild. I mean, when you first chew it, you're like, I'm not tasting anything yet, not tasting anything. And then you're like, okay, yeah, no, that's, that's a decent flavor. And then what I like about it is the aftertaste. It almost tastes like, uh, in, you know, in the aftertaste, like you've been eating almonds or maybe walnuts or something, you know, a nut kind of a, a flavor, just, just mildly so. It's, it's more like, you know, after you've swallowed and you're kind of, you know, and you're like, oh, I, Tastes like I just ate something green with nuts with it. You know, maybe a salad with nuts or something. Anyway, 
just to give you an idea what the taste is like. The fact that uh, the leaves are eaten raw on this makes me think it's a great thing to have because, uh, you know, when it's growing in the spring with the lettuce and other things that are growing green and fresh, pull a few of them off and you can mix them in with your salad. It's one of them that I suspect is still edible even after it's dry, you know, after it's an old dry hard leave. However, it's just not going to be as appetizing and so forth. Whereas some plants, they develop too much, too much tannic acid. Um, the tannins become too much that you really don't want to eat them after they get older. I suspect this is one of those plants that does not have that, that uh, continues to be edible. Just, you know, it kind of loses the, uh, the nice, um, soft, crunchy, crisp kind of a texture and becomes a little bit harder. And I should say there's a little bit of a pokiness about the leaves, just not not like it's going to poke your tongue or hurt your mouth or anything like that. But, but uh, when I f first put one in, I will sometimes think it's going to poke me from how stiff it feels. But the moment I begin chewing, that just disappears. And, it, and it's like, oh, no, this is actually quite good. So, and I suspect that fresh green leaves in the spring will be even more tasty and not so crunchy, you know, like, anyway, medicinal uses. The leaves are diuretic, expectorant, and stomachic. And if I'm not mistaken, diuretic, it means it, it, um, I think I've described it as drying your system. A better way of putting it is, is encouraging urination. Basically, think of all those things like um, prunes or, or, well, prunes there it can be confused because it's also a laxative, but uh, minus the laxative effect, okay? Prunes, cranberries, things like that that are just good for the urinary system. Um, that's really what diuretic is, you know, a little more than just drying your system. Anyway, expectorant is that thing that you use to, you know, when you're coughing, but you just feel that deep gum up in your, in your, uh, um, lungs and you just can't seem to get that, that phlegm out. It, it, it just feels like you need to. What you take is an expectorant medicine. Well, you can also use, um, Rose of Sharon. And I'm, uh, you know, I'll read on about how you would prepare that. But, uh, and stomachic means that it's used for, you know, if, you, if you've got a bit of a stomach ache or you're, or if you just want to, you know, you just feel like your stomach needs a little bit of stomach tonic, so to speak. Um, that's what stomachic, sto so it looks like stomachic, okay, <laughs> but uh, stomachic. Okay, a, de a decoction of the flowers is diuretic, ophthalmolic, and stomachic. Okay, ophthalmolic um, means, you know, think of the optometrist, uh, and uh, that would have to do with the eyes, is good for your eyes. And though it doesn't seem to say so, often when you're referring to ophthalmic um, treatments, it, it may mean that um, what you're going to do is it because it 
decoction means you're going to soak the flowers in water or something else. I would recommend water if you're going to be sticking it in your eyes. Um, and then washing your eyes, you know, doing the, you know, splashing the up to your eye and then blink, blink, blink. And, you know, um, scooping it with your hand, splash it into your eye, blink, 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 something to that effect. Or you could make kind of an eye drop out of the uh, um, flower-soaked water. That's what I suspect. Don't quote me on that because I don't know. It could be that you're intended to drink it and it has some, you know, way of, of getting to the eyes. I'm not sure, but the uh, stomachic part, obviously swallowing is how you would you would take that. Okay, it says it is also used in the treatment of itch or skin other skin diseases. That's nice to know because, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of those um, flowers on the tree. And if you can use it to treat itching, that's nice. Okay, it can also be used for treating dizziness and bloody stools accompanied by much gas. And I would assume that would be the decoction that would do that. The bark contains several medicinal active constituents, including mucilage, uh, carotenoids, sesquiterpenes, or penes, and anthocyanidins. I'm going to let you look up what those are because I, you know, if you just go to pfaf.org, pfaf.org, um, you can read this. Just look up Rose of Sharon and Rose as in a, you know, a rose by any other name kind of rose as in the flower. A decoction of the root bark is antiphlogistic, demulcent, emollient, febri uh, let's see, febrifuge, hemostatic, and vermifuge. It is used in the treatment of diarrhea, dysentery, abdominal pain, uh, leucorrhea, or leucorrhea, uh, dysmenorrhea, and dermophytosis. And I'm going to let you look up that stuff because that's complicated. <laughs> Someday I'll understand all these terms, and I, and I do understand some of them, um, but... I just, you know, I, I, I'm putting the focus on the things that uh, the common person might have. You know, if you have uh, a bad case of dermophytosis, you'll know what that is. And I, and most people don't. So um, I'll leave that to you. It sounds like some kind of skin treatment. But that goes back to that, you know, treatment of itch and skin diseases. So there you go. Anyway, other uses. A low-quality fiber is obtained from the stems. It is used for making cordage and paper. The seed contains about 25% oil. No further details are given, but it is likely to be edible. A hair shampoo is made from the leaves. A blue dye is obtained from the flowers. The species is planted as a hedge in southern Europe. And these are all quoted from different books, you know, the one that says um, it is likely to be edible, for example. I mean, that book obviously didn't have the research uh, to know that the plant itself is very edible. It could be talking about the oil that it was referring to, since it's referring to the same book. Um, I would imagine that to be the case. In fact, the oil aspect would be interesting to research. Anyway, 
cultivation details. The landscape uses could be a border, a, um, uh, put in a container, foundation, standard, seashore, specimen. Okay, that's a funny way of wording it, but I, I gather that it can be used as a border because of its thick lilac-like um, shape and, of course, beautiful flowers and, and everything. It grows kind of thick um, that way. Uh, it can be grown in a container. Um, and the rest, seashore, specimen, standard, foundation. Not exactly sure what that means. Prefers a well-drained, humus-rich, fertile soil in a sheltered position in full sun. Succeeds in any soil of good or moderate quality. Dislikes shade or badly drained soils. Grows best with their roots in cool, moist soil and their tops in a hot, sunny position. This species is hardy to about negative 20 degrees Celsius, but plants only really succeed in warmer climates of Britain because of their late flowering habit. habit. That obviously is saying that in Britain, it really only succeeds in the warmer counties of Britain. Not saying that if you're not living in warm Britain, it won't grow for you, if that makes sense. When planted in colder areas of the country, they will need protection for the first few winters. The flowers only open in sunny weather. Plants rarely require pruning, though they respond well to pruning and trimming if this is best carried out, and this is best carried out in the spring or just after flowering. Plants are late coming into leaf, usually around the end of May or early June. A very ornamental plant. There are many named varieties. Uh, special features. It attracts birds. Not North American native. Naturalizing. Attracts butter butterflies. Blooms are very showy. The plant is heat tolerant. Uh, zones 9 through 1. And then it puts in parentheses here. It says, uh, plant hardiness zones show how well plants withstand cold winter temperatures. Plant heat zones show when plants would start suffering from the heat. The plant heat zone map is based on the number of heat days experienced in a given area where the temperature climbs to over 86 degrees or 30 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, Celsius. At this temperature, many plants begin to suffer physiological damage. Heat zones range from 1, no heat days, to 12, 210 or more heat days. For example, heat zone 11 to 1 indicates that the plant is heat tolerant in zones 11 through 1. I don't know why it needed all that uh, explanation. I think it was pretty clear. Basically, zones 1 through 9, it should grow well in. That's a pretty wide area. That's like the entire uh, um, moderate climate area. I mean, that <laughs> pretty much covers the gamut. Basically, it grows well. Okay, propagation. Seed. So, early spring in a greenhouse. Germination is usually fairly quick. Prick out the seedlings into individual spots when they are large enough to handle and grow them on in, grow them on in a greenhouse for their first year. Plant them out into their permanent positions in the late spring or early summer. 
Some reports say that seed can be sown in a, in a situ outside. I'm going to look up what situ is. S-I-T-U. Grown in situ outside, and that gives them a good rate of germination. Cuttings of half-ripe wood, uh, July and August, in a frame, good percentage of survival, I suppose, I suppose it's referring to. Cuttings of mature wood, early autumn, in a frame, good percentage. Laying in mid-summer to early autumn. Okay, I just looked it up. Growing in situ means growing on site or on the place where it's going to ultimately live. I think they should just say on site. I think that's much simpler, but <laughs> that's probably just the wording from the book. So you get what you get. Okay, other names for the Rose of Sharon. Chaba, Gural, Kimbang, Sepatu Mawar. Kembang Sapatu Saro, Mujin, Shrubby Althea, Sweat Jaba, Thon Ban Hla, and Woody Hibiscus. I like the Sweat Jaba. That sounds like something from Star Wars, you know. Anyway, found in, okay, these are the countries where it has been found Africa, Asia, Australia, China, East Africa, Europe. Fiji, France, Greece, Hawaii, India, Indonesia, no, Indonesia, in, oh, sorry, Indochina. <laughs> I thought it was saying Indonesia, and then, okay, it's Indochina. Uh, Italy, Marquesas, Meridian, or, sorry, uh, Mediterranean, Mozambique, Myanmar, Nepal, Pacific, Pakistan, Portugal, Southeast Asia, Spain, Taiwan, Tasmania, Thailand, USA, and Vietnam. Okay. Um, and that's it. There, there are a lot of hibiscus species, and several of them are listed as edible. I suspect they're probably all edible. I'm not certain on that. But uh, this is the species, one of the species that's uh, considered especially edible, as in, you know... I mean, this could be cultivated specifically as a food if you chose to do that. I would cultivate it as a pollinator slash tree slash food because it's, it's all of the above. And it's gorgeous. So, I mean, just saying. <laughs> anyway, with that, thank you again, all of you, for listening.